From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, welcome to another week of EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the starting blocks, ready to go. All that's missing is you. Give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 271 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 271 2985 And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt, uh, check that. Your call screener is Ace McKay. And your uh, social media maven is Mr. Jeff Burson. So if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, the aforementioned Father John Tregilio, how are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Um, Big Thanksgiving plans for you? Actually, I'm here in Ohio. We're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving with Father Briganti. Yeah, well, there you go. So the uh, we've given the uh, seminarians the entire week off. Uh, they they can leave after their last uh, class tomorrow. Okay, all right. So you have bailed early. Well, I'm like it's a busman's holiday. I work at the seminary, and I take my holiday at the seminary. <laughs> I like it. Uh, oh, that's right. You're in Columbus now. Yes. Yeah, he is at the mount. All right, now, you're at the mount. He is I'm at, at, uh, at the, the Josephina. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, pick a seminary, any seminary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got, got an email here from Spencer. It says, Father John, God bless you in all that you do. You glow with the light of Christ. I have wow. three. Yeah, he <laughs> says, I have three questions, and the first weighs heavy on my heart and soul. I used to be a drug addict. In my time using, which I'm not anymore, there would be times I would go to confession and then mass. I would receive the sacraments under the influence, and I'm just now realizing what I was doing. I feel horrible in my soul. I also received confirmation under the influence of alcohol. My question is, are those sacraments still valid on my soul, or did I commit sacrilege? Did I sin against the Holy Spirit? Was I still confirmed? I'm doing wonderful now. I'm clean and sober, fighting the good fight and carrying my cross daily, but I'm so worried about all the times I would receive communion under the influence, and it's weighing heavy on my heart. Does Jesus still love me? And was I still given the mark of the Holy Spirit? Wow. Yes, uh, first of all, uh, God bless you for being in recovery, and I hope you stay uh, recovering uh, as well. Um, The sacraments, especially uh, those that give an indelible mark like baptism and confirmation, uh, those are validly conferred. Even if someone's not in the state of grace, uh, they still validly receive the sacrament, even with matrimony. Uh, if both the hus- if the bride and groom are in mortal sin, they're still validly married if they're um, following the canonical form that a priest or deacon is marrying them with two witnesses. 
Now, in terms of going to communion under the influence, if you did that intentionally or knowingly, fully deliberately, then it, it would be a, a sacrilegious uh, confession. But uh, if you're under the influence uh, the moment, at the time you're going to confession, uh, the question is, how free were you to, or how cognizant were you of the fact that you were not in the proper state? I would just say, mention this at your very next confession, that, that takes care of everything, but you certainly are validly confirmed, you're validly baptized, um, and uh, those previous confessions, if there's any doubt, uh, the benefit of the doubt goes to you, but just to alleviate your conscience, I would just say, as you said in the email to to a priest, uh, Father, I, I, I may have or probably may have had some um, sacrilegious uh, confession. Now, communion, again, uh, if you purposely, knowingly, freely did that, that yes, uh, that would have been a sacrilegious communion. But again, under the influence of alcohol or drugs, um, the, the question is of how much culpability is involved. Certainly, we want people to realize that when they're sober and in the state of complete freedom, then they should realize it's not good for me to receive the sacraments, uh, whether I'm inebriated with alcohol or I'm under the influence of drugs. Uh, but if at the moment you're, like I said, when you went to communion, you didn't have complete freedom to make that choice, um, I would just m mention that confession, and it's easily taken care of. Do you have your... Uh... Do you have your Thomistic Beretta there that you can put on for a minute? <laughs> I left it in Maryland. <laughs> Angelo writes in, I'm having trouble expa explaining to my girlfriend how we know in our fullest sense that God is real. I'd like some help on this. Thank you. Okay. Well, um, that's a good question. And when you do look at the uh, Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas, which, by the way, uh, it's quoted very beautifully and succinctly and summarized in the Catechism of the Catholic Church on how do we know that there is a God. We certainly have faith in God, and certain aspects of God we only know by revelation, and it's by faith that we know there's three persons in one God. But the existence of God, St. Thomas Aquinas makes it very clear that this is reasonable and one can establish philosophically that it makes sense that there is God. And so he goes through these, what we call the five ways in quinque vie in Latin. Five ways of proving God's existence. Um, one of them is the fact that there's a, a gradation. Uh, you have inanimate matter, like uh, rocks and suns and moons, planets, and then you've got the vegetative life, you've got animal life, human life, um, we also know there's angelic life. There has to be a, a supreme being who is being itself. His very essence is to exist. And so through governance, gradation, um, motion, causality, necessity, uh, all these things show us that uh, there has to be uh, what we call a first cause, an uncaused cause, um, something that brought everything into existence. Because even the scientists who tell us that the universe is whatever it is, billions and billions of years old, the fact that they can give it an age means there was a moment when there was no universe. It had to have not existed, and then all of a sudden it came into being. Otherwise, you can't give it an age. If it was always eternal, you know, it's, it's ageless. So they're saying it had a beginning. How do you go from nothing into something? There has to be a supreme being, a prime mover, uh, the uncaused cause that 
created the universe that brought things into being. And so I would say uh, go to that part of the catechism. It's in the first section uh, under um, the faith, uh, the creed, and uh, it gives you a real beautiful summary of what uh, St. Thomas explains in his Summa. Uh, Joni writes in, is there any chance that Lucifer will repent? Should we pray? Should we be praying for him to repent? And if he does, will he be saved and hell would go away? <laughs> uh, Lucifer is a lost cause, and we should not have any pity or, or sorrow for him or the fallen demons, because they knew when they were created, God infused knowledge into them. That's why they, they can never change their mind, even uh, when they were first uh, created, uh, whatever they knew then, they 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 know now. And when their choice was made, they knew it was irrevocable. Unlike human beings, where we can change our mind, um, basically because I can think of, uh, you know, I get new information the next day. I can actually repent. I can have regrets. Angels are frozen for eternity in that act of the will that they made. So the devil knew that when when Lucifer went against God. And that's why he will always be in hell. There will always be a hell uh, for uh, Lucifer and all the fallen angels. And we should not should not pray for them. We should not feel sorry for them. Uh, they fully knew what they were doing. Just getting started on a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, we would love to take your phone call. Pick up the phone and give us a jingle at 833 288 E-W-T-N, that's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205 271 2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address again is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline, all one word, at ewtn.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Got a couple of uh, stations in the EWTN radio family celebrating some anniversaries. We want to say um, hello to uh, members of uh, the listening audience of KDME in Fort Madison, Iowa. They're celebrating their 19th year with EWTN on the banks of the Mississippi in Fort Madison. And also WLHN in Brandenburg, Kentucky, 
and KSMR in Great Falls, Montana, which are each celebrating eight years on the air with EWTN Radio. Congratulations to all of you from your friends here at EWTN Radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Jim. He is in Chicago listening to WSFI Radio. Uh, Jim, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father. I'm an Irish Catholic. Hi, Father. How are you? I'm an Irish Catholic from Chicago. My family goes back generations here. And we vote Democratic all the time. We never vote a Republican in our lives. But both stations, both Catholic stations, you never have a Democrat on anymore. The President of the United States is a Catholic and a practicing Catholic. Nancy Pelosi is a practicing Catholic. But yet, uh, both stations are constantly pushing the Republican line over and over and over again. And it's frustrating to listen to because when I grew up, with 16 years of Catholic education, I was told to vote my conscience. Go ahead, Father. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you you should vote your conscience, but the obligation is also that it's a well-formed conscience. And that means uh, it has to be informed by... um, reason and also by uh, revelation, divine truths. And uh, while it's true, yes, we have uh, Catholic politicians on both sides of the political fence, uh, Republican and and Democrat, um, it is unfortunate when a priest or, uh, you know, a, a part of the church, you know, makes it sound as if we're becoming um, partisan. Uh, I, as a priest, I, I am not allowed to say vote for so-and-so or don't vote for so-and-so um, or for this party or that party. But as a priest, I must uh, uh, share with my people, this is the way to morally cast your ballot. And you have to look at the, the, the candidate's totality of what they say and what they do. And unfortunately, you know, and this has has nothing to do with the fact that uh, the president is Democrat or uh, Nancy Pelosi's Democrat. It's their position on abortion. Uh, that's the preeminent issue. It's not the only issue. Uh, the Catholic bishops made that clear. So does the magisterium. But when you rank the issues, the right to life is the preeminent one, because if you don't have the right to life, you have no other rights. And therefore, to their aggressive stand to make abortion um, available at any stage whatsoever and you know that's the we consider that unjust killing of an innocent life, um, whether uh, they're Republican or Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, whatever their political affiliation is, it's what they're voting on, and particularly in a position like the president or someone in Congress, where their vote affects whether or not um, you know this crime of abortion or euthanasia, um, and we also extend it out into the other uh, moral issues, which are uh, certainly serious, but they don't have the same uh, preeminent value. But like when you look at the, the, the death penalty, when you look at uh, immigration, when you look at um, national defense, all these things are legitimate concerns and certainly uh, e- economics. My mom and dad were very, very diehard um, Catholic uh, Democrats throughout their life. I'm from Pennsylvania, Governor Casey, uh, who's now um, deceased? He was one of the very most outspoken uh, Catholic Democrats who was pro-life. 
unfortunately, his son, who's a senator, does not have that same voting record. So I like to say it's not a, an issue of, of particular names, particular parties, but the issues for which they stand. Where do they stand on the on the matter of, of abortion, on same-sex unions, on um, euthanasia, and all those things which morally we have to have vested. So it's not a point that you know uh, Catholics have to be Democrat or Republican. We have to be um, we have to be moral people who vote with a well-informed conscience. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next up is Marisha in South Texas, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Marisha, you're on with Father John. Hello. My question is, when Jesus was on the earth and he was, working miracles on a Sunday, and he got in trouble for it. They said it was against the law. Um, were there other people working miracles that made them create this law before Jesus came around? I, I don't understand. Okay. Well, that, that's a um, certainly a reasonable question. First of all, it wasn't on Sunday. It was on Saturday, because in the Jewish uh, faith, the Sabbath day is Saturday. And so... Uh, Jews were forbidden to do work on the Sabbath day. So the fact that Jesus performed miracles on Saturday is what got him, uh, so to speak, in, in trouble with some of the religious leaders. But as Jesus himself pointed out in the gospel, if somebody's uh, ox or donkey or cow or you know any of their farm animals uh, got into a hole or, or it was in distress on the Sabbath day, it was okay for them to rescue them. You know, if your kids... Uh, got sick, or let's say they're they're choking to death, uh, doing the Heimlich maneuver on them. Okay, uh, that's considered work in a technical sense. Um, some of the Jewish re- leaders were so scrupulous that uh, they accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath by uh, performing miracles. Well, that one guy that was um, who had been uh, paralyzed, and he had a mat, and when he got cured. Instead of saying to him, wow, you, you're, you're healed, they start chiding him because he's carrying his mat. It'd be like someone pushing an empty wheelchair that everybody knew he had used at one time. Instead of saying, wow, you're, you're, you don't need that anymore, uh, they were focusing on the, the Mosaic law. This is the law that came from, from Moses that uh, was not the Ten Commandments. This was part of the, the, the Jewish custom. The Over 600 of these laws uh, came about. But even there, Jesus is talking about the spirit of the law, and the law was there to protect uh, the Sabbath, but also to protect man. And when they take it out of context, that was the problem. So it's it's almost perverse when the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees attack Jesus for doing something uh, wonderful, uh, curing on the Sabbath. It's not work in, in, in terms of something being odious. Um, but now on the flip side, you know, you and I, as 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 Christians, we're we're obligated to refrain from servile work. That's unnecessary, odious work that could be done on a different day. Uh, Dies Domini, which was a, a document from Pope Pope Saint John Paul the Great, uh, made that very clear. But even as a Christian, 
if you're a doctor or a nurse, you're most certainly allowed to work on Sunday. You're saving lives. 833-288-EWTN. We'd love to have you pick up the phone and give us a call today at 833-288-3986. Next up is Dolores. She is in Battle Creek, Michigan, listening on Holy Family Radio. Dolores, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hi, Father. Um, I just have a question. Um, my daughter is Pentecostal, and she says that I am not fully baptized because I haven't uh, been baptized in full immersion like Jesus was, and then I'm going to go to hell for that because I'm not like Jesus was baptized. And so I wanted to know your thought on that. Okay. Well, certainly... Um... I'm going to pray for your daughter. You know, I'm, uh, she's got a wonderful mother, and you certainly need to pray for her as well. But she's wrong. <laughs> um, the baptism that Jesus had was not the sacrament of baptism. He didn't need baptism. Baptism washes away original sin. Jesus had no sin. He's the Son of God. Uh, he's the incarnation. Uh, he's got a human nature, divine nature, but one divine person. So Jesus's baptism was symbolic. Uh, just like all the baptisms that John did were symbolic, the baptisms that happen afterwards when we baptize someone in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we use water, immersion is not the only valid form of baptism, because we see, going back to apostolic times, uh, people had uh, baptism by what we call infusion, where water is poured over the person's head. Um, so you can be baptized by being fully immersed, uh, from head to toe, or by having water poured over your head. Uh, those are the two means of, of being baptized, and I presume that's how you were baptized, as I was baptized as a baby. It was by infusion, but water was used. The Trinity was used, and Jesus says, one must be born again of water and the Spirit. Well, that's how baptism is celebrated uh, in, in the Catholic Church. So you're validly baptized. You don't need to worry about that. Um, you know, you're you're... you're you should be content with that. That was valid. Now, where we end up for eternity is based after that on the life we live. Uh, do I die in the state of grace, hopefully? Do I live a virtuous, uh, holy life? Um, that's all po post-baptism uh, scenario. Do the, do the scriptures even tell us that he was immersed? They said he went down. Doesn't even the say river. that. Just said he went to the River Jordan. That yeah. you know, it's just you know people presume because that's how it's depicted in in sacred art, but you're right. It doesn't say in the Bible that one must be immersed. The word immersion doesn't even show. The word baptize comes from the Greek word wash, baptizein. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. That that particular form is not mentioned there. 833-288-3986. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. We head next to the shoreline in the great state of Washington. Ken is listening on FM 100.3. Ken, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hello. Um, I, I got a question. Uh, how old was Joseph? I understand that the Protestants and Catholics believe that Mary was a young woman, but we're not quite sure the age of Joseph now. Uh, Joseph may have had a, a wife in a previous marriage, and he's a widower. And because uh, I read Galatians one nineteen, 
And it says so that I did not see any of the apostles, but I saw James, the Lord's brother. Now, it doesn't say cousin or relative, because in Luke, in Luke, they had... Yeah, hang uh, on there one second, Ken, and we will get to the other, the rest of your question right after this little pause. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. We're talking to Ken in the great state of Washington. And, Father, he's inquiring about the age. What do we know about the age of St. Joseph? Well, we don't know the exact uh, age chronologically. Um, in sacred art, he's depicted as much older than Mary. I think that was just a way of presenting that him and Mary, you know, had a, a, a chaste, non-conjugal um, marriage. But more than likely, he was uh, around closer to Mary's age than being an old man. We have no evidence that he was previously married, and that these um, that Jesus had these. Uh, step uh, brothers and sisters or half brothers and sisters um it's most likely that joseph was never married before um but more than likely he was uh, at least a few years older than mary mary was at least within childbearing years now these uh, relations of jesus uh, especially when they talk about james the brother of, of jesus um yes the word brothers there in in the english translation but when you look uh also at the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, uh, the word is Adelphos, which uh, is Greek, and it can be translated brother, but it's also any male relative can be an Adelphos, uh, a nephew, an uncle, a cousin. And people might say, well, why is that? Well, uh, all you have to do is go to the front of the Bible, the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. We know Lot is the nephew of, of Abraham. Lot is um, Abraham's brother's son. Abraham had a brother named Haran. Haran had a son named Lot. Now, we easily just say Lot was his nephew. In ancient Hebrew, there was no word for, for, for nephew. You had to go the long way around and say Abraham's brother's son, or you used an inclusive word uh, in Hebrew, ak, or in Greek, because the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that goes back to 250 B.C., it uses Adelphos. So Lot, uh, and in, in the King James Bible, even says Abram and his brother Lot. Well, Lot's not his biological brother. He's his nephew. So that if that applies with Abraham and Lot, it can certainly apply to Jesus and James the less. James and John, James the greater, they were brothers, the sons of Zebedee. But James the lesser was uh, a relation to Jesus, a, a cousin, some uh, other type of relationship, but not his biological brother, because, you know, first of all, there's no evidence that that, that was the case. Mary had no other children. Uh, it, Joseph, Joseph was not his father. Uh, and if he had been, in some way, Jesus's close relation, he certainly would have presumed and taken over much more uh, leadership uh, position in the church. Uh, he would have been at the foot of the cross when, when Jesus was dying. He would have been taking care of Mary 
but he didn't because that wasn't his uh, role. He was not a brother or a stepbrother. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. We got one line open for you at 833-288-3986. Art is in Asheville, North Carolina, listening on the EWTN app today. Art, you're on with Father John. Father John, hi. Uh, see, I would just like for you to analyze this, please, for me. Uh, we, we are aware that Abraham uh, would have sacrificed Isaac if God hadn't provided the lamb. And in that, the Jewish people remind God of the Old Covenant with his people by, by uh, playing, or, uh, playing the shofar. The Catholic universal, and I mean in a universal sense, and even, you know, the Christians, uh, they, well, more actually specifically Catholics, say the Catholic Mass uh, to remind or to, to know the New Covenant of God in their heart and mind, while the Jewish people only only uh, are in remembrance of their mind. Although there are some Jewish people who are now Catholic, so it's some, not all. But the daily Mass is said in remembrance of the heart and mind of the Catholic person while the Jewish people remember in their minds by playing the shofar, and why it's important to pray for the conversion of the Jewish people. Okay, uh, well, it is important to pray for the conversion of the Jewish people, but uh, that is a willing conversion, and that in the same way we pray for the full reception and the full communion of all our um, separated brethren, all our Protestant brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for the reunion of, of orthodoxy. Um, but for the Jewish people, who were the first to hear the Word of God, the, 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 the receivers of the first uh, covenant, um, we pray that they join us in full communion and that they um, recognize Christ and accept him as the, the Messiah. What we don't want is uh, a forced conversion uh, that's imposed, because then it's not uh, it's not real. If you force someone, uh, we want to show them, and we have to show them not just in the words that we use, but the actions that we practice. And unfortunately, Christians have not always been uh, that good at showing, you know, the type of uh, fraternal love that we should. Uh, that is, you know, our actions are, are a more poignant uh, sermon that we could ever uh, preach with our lips, and yet. We have an obligation to set a good example and to invite. And I've had some Jewish converts come into the into the faith. You know, that I baptized them and confirmed them and gave them their first communion at at the Easter vigil. Uh, they're not the majority, but the fact that it does happen. I mean, you know, there's that wonderful sister here on EWTN who had been a, a Jewish woman for most of her life. Uh, we have a priest in my diocese of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He had been uh, a, a Jewish rabbi and then uh, became uh, Anglican and now is a Catholic priest. So uh, it is possible. We, we need to pray for that, but we also need to give good witness. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Still time for your phone calls at 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. Guy is on the road in the great state of Wisconsin, listening on eighty-eight point five FM. Guy, you are on with Father John Trujillo. Hey, Father John, 
Hey, had a uh, question about the Virgin Mary. Uh, I understand that Catholics believe that she had no original sin, that her conception was also immaculate. And I'm just wondering if that's true and, and what uh, biblical, canonical evidence there is for that. Okay, I'm glad you asked that because we have the feast coming up on December the 8th of the Immaculate Conception. Now, Mary's Immaculate Conception, that she was preserved from original sin from the very first moment of her conception in her mother's womb, St. Anne, that comes from God. That That's the first thing, is that that was a gift from God given to Mary so that she could give Jesus an untainted human nature. Jesus was her Savior. He died for her. He just applied to her what in you and I, um, you know, would be our, you know, at that moment in, in the past, it's applied to us when we're baptized. But because Jesus is the second person of the, of the Trinity, he is God, he could, you know, change the, the sequence of events and apply to his mother what he would do in her timeline as her future, he could apply in, into her past or at the very moment that she's conceived. So we believe that she was preserved, and this is attested in Luke's gospel when the angel, uh, angel Gabriel appears to her and, and, and says to her, uh, Hail, full of grace, in the English or in the Greek, uh, which means full of grace. And if something's full, if I have a, a, a can here that's filled, it's full, that means there's no room for anything else. So if someone's full of grace, there's no room for sin, okay? And Mary was free from sin, not from anything that she did. It was a gift from God so that she then later, with that gift, could give Jesus a, a spotless human nature. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. Couple of open lines and plenty of time for your phone calls. Next up is Tim in the great state of Idaho, listening on Salt and Light Radio. Tim, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father. Uh, my question is: uh, Jesus, uh, in his uh, ministry, was he always um, uh, exercised people? And I was wondering: Does the Catholic Church still do that? and kind of not particular, but in general, what would be the steps? Okay, uh, yes, we still do exorcisms. They're considered a sacramental, not a sacrament. There's only seven sacraments, and they were instituted by Christ. But uh, exorcism is a particular ritual, and it can only be done in the formal sense by the with the bishop's uh, authorization and permission. If a priest uh, attempts to do it without that, uh, it's doomed to failure, and he gets himself even more in trouble, not just with the church, but uh, he has no power over the demons. Um, it's something that the bishop typically appoints a particular priest as the exorcist for the diocese. Uh, we have one in my diocese of Harrisburg. Every diocese has a priest who's known for his holiness and for his uh, courage and fortitude. Um, the ritual, the Roman ritual, has the rite of exorcism, and that can only be done after an investigation is made, that none of these uh, phenomena could be explained through science or medicine or psychology or any of those other possible avenues. When all the other uh, avenues say we can't explain what's happening, uh, whether a person is diabolically possessed, that means the demon's inside them, or oppressed or obsessed, that means the demon's on the outside 
Um, so the first thing the priest has to do is investigate, look at what's happening, see, making sure that this isn't something psychological, psychiatric, or um, some other phenomenon. Um, but there are other minor exorcisms we use uh, in the sacrament of baptism, praying uh, over the person to be baptized, um, certainly praying the prayer to St. Michael, uh, which many parishes are doing now at the end of Mass. Um, there's uh, miraculous medals, use of holy water. Uh, these are ways in which the sacramental uh, of holy water can be used to uh, ward off uh, influences of the devil, but full-blown uh, official exorcism can only be done uh, when the bishop authorizes it, and they it, it's a last resort. It's not used right off the bat, but it is being done, I, I, I hate to say, more frequently because there's more instances where people are inviting the devil in, like Ouija boards and tarot cards and going to um, fortune tellers and that. Uh, that that's sort of like... Um, uh, calling the devil on the phone, and then, you know, what happens when he answers? You know, it's, it's not a good thing. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Kathy is in Maryland listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Kathy, you're on with Father John. is when you read the genealogy of Jesus that's uh, in, in um, you know both Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, usually when people today do their family tree, I, I've been working on mine for a long time, uh, the more um, peculiar people, the, those branches that are a little embarrassing, people cut them off and they, they, they just ignore them. Whereas sacred scripture... You know, it's the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, the, there there are people in the in that lineage. Some, you know, uh, had a dubious past. Rahab was indeed um, part of that lineage. Yes, she was a prostitute. Yes, she ran a brothel, um, but she embraced the faith because, you know, when um, uh, Joshua sent the spies, she um, hid them and. Uh, protected them, and she became then part of the Jewish tradition, and. The, her husband then uh, was a direct descend or direct ancestor of King David, and David obviously is one of Jesus's uh, ancestors. So Rahab's in there, Tamar's in there. Um, there are a lot of people in there who, uh, men and women. Uh, it even mentions, you know, when David, um, you know, when he uh, took Uriah's wife uh, while Uriah was still alive and committed adultery. It makes it clear in there that. Uh, David and the wife of Uriah. So you've got adultery on, on male side, female side, uh, Rahab, you know, her um, sort of sordid past. But the point is that none of these people are perfect, not, uh, but they were uh, called to, to holiness, and they're part of, you know, the, the human condition. And at no time does the Bible condone any bad things they did, but it also shows us that everyone has the potential of being uh, redeemed. Thanks, Kathy. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. 
That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Be sure to check out More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck tomorrow morning and every weekday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Kate in the great state of South Carolina, listening on Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Kate, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father Tregilio. Thank you for the answer of, about Immaculate. Um, conception. I, I've, I just instinctually believe it. I love that date. My son, oldest son was born on December the eighth. So, but I've had Protestant friends ask me, um, full of grace, how, why, how do we know as Catholics to take those words in the Bible literally? Because sometimes words in the Bible are not taken literally. And so, how do I answer that? Okay, that's that's a good question, and certainly um, the the whole angelic, uh, the Annunciation itself, uh, the angel before he says "full of grace," he calls her. He says, "Hail, uh, salve, ave." All right, um, that's an address, not just out of respect, but it's an affirmation. This person is special. Um, Mary's holiness is self-evident because the angel doesn't say, "You will be full of grace." He acknowledges the fact that she is full of grace, present tense. So he says, Ke corita mene uh, in, in the Greek, uh, gratia plena in, in the Latin. We say full of grace. Um, that is preceded by the, the uh, salutation, hail, uh, salve. And that is a way in which we can say, yes, it's definite that this isn't just uh, a figure of speech the fact that the angel addresses her in such a fashion. And then it makes sense then, too, because um, Mary's grace was given to her prior to her birth. It was given to her at the moment of her conception. She doesn't realize it, though. She doesn't realize it until the angel tells her she's full of grace. And even then, we don't know what her comprehension level is. Uh, Obviously, you know, she asks, how can I have a child? I I, I know not man. Um, She's not arguing with the with the angel she's just saying i i i don't understand uh unlike zachariah who argues with the angel and he's struck mute for uh, the rest of the pregnancy thanks kate we appreciate that call today that opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN that's 833-288-3986 we head next to the great state of Louisiana, Joe is in Louisiana listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Joe, you're on with Father Trujillo. Yes, thanks for taking my call, Father. Uh, I've been wondering for some time what is the uh, the theory of the purpose of the, uh, the last judgment, because uh, I've always understood that we're judged immediately upon our death and our souls assigned to heaven, purgatory, or hell. So if that's the case, what does the last judgment at the end of time determine? I'm glad you asked that because we, you know, we just celebrated a few weeks ago uh, the Feast of All Saints and the Feast of All Souls. Um, there, there are two judgments. There's particular judgment, which happens the moment you die, that I die, and it's determined whether you go to heaven, hell, or purgatory before you go to, to heaven. The, the, um, the last judgment, okay, 
what we sometimes call general judgment, is merely an affirmation of all the private uh, particular judgments. So it's not an appeal. It's not uh, another uh, court of, of, of second instance. It's not like going to the Supreme Court or anything like that. Uh, nobody's going to be rejudged. What is going to happen is that everybody's going to know why the people are in heaven are in heaven and why the ones in hell are in hell. It's going to be uh, an affirmation of all the particular uh, judgments so that we know God's justice and his mercy uh, are are indeed uh, most powerful. So uh, it's not going to be a, a new news flash to the people themselves, but for instance, those who are in heaven, they'll know why the guy next to them or lady next to them, how they, why they're there or why someone is not there. Uh, it's a manifestation uh, of, the, of that prior judge. So that's the one we need to worry about is the particular judge. Uh, am I in the state of grace today, right now? Because uh, when I was a kid in Catholic school, I remember the sisters used to say to us, you never know, you might be crossing the street and some uh, truck's going to run you over, so you better be in the state of grace, uh, um, uh, which is uh, a reality. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate that call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. That's the number Helen used in Danville, Indiana, listening today on 89.1 FM. Helen, you're on with Father John. Thank you. Thank you. I had a question about why the Apostles' Creed says resurrection of the body, which seems to me very clear what we mean, but yet when we pray the... Um, Nicene Creed, we say resurrection of the dead, and I've had friends ask me, well, we believe in resurrection of the dead, but we don't believe in resurrection of the body, and I say, well, we do, and they said, well, why don't you say it all the time then? So I don't understand why we change that. Okay, well, the, the uh, that's a good question. The Apostles' Creed is the oldest, it's the earliest, it goes back to apostolic times. Uh, there's a pious tradition that's not sacred tradition, so you don't have to accept it or not, but there was a pious tradition that uh, all 12 apostles uh, did a particular part of that. But at least it goes back to apostolic times. The uh, Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed uh, goes back to the Council of Nicaea and the, and the Council of Constantinople, and that's the one we say on Sundays and Holy Days. And yes, there's a little uh, tweaking of, of words there. Um, at the time of the Council of Nicaea, uh, nobody was disputing the resurrection of the body. Uh, it's still very accurate to say when we say we believe in the resurrection of the dead, we're saying that only their bodies can be resurrected because the immortal soul, it's all, it's, it, it never ceases, okay? It's created in time, but the soul is immortal. So it's not the soul that's resurrected, it's the body that's resurrected, and it's reunited with the soul. So when we say the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body, it's, it's the same thing. In, in, the, in the same way when we talk about Jesus descended into hell, um, he didn't go to the hell of the damned to sort of rub their nose in it, it was the hell of the dead. So sometimes the, the, the translation is he descended uh, into the dead. The hell of the dead all right, is the same thing as descending into the dead, as opposed to the hell of the dam, where only the devil and and those people who will never see God uh, exist. So, uh, and remember too that these these um, creeds were written first uh, in Greek and then Latin and then English, and um, you know, there's even like with the creed that 
when you say on Sunday, Pope Benedict uh, tweaked it so that it, it was more accurately. He says, you know, Jesus uh, consubstantial. Uh, I remember for 30-some years as a priest, we would say one in being. It means the same thing, but it's certainly more precise to use the word consubstantial. And quickly, we'll head to Art in South Lyon, Michigan, listening on WDEO. Art, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. I, I wanted to ask, uh, why, do you, why do you believe that there's such a proliferation of uh, transgenders and the gen- idea of gender neutral in today's society? What do you believe is causing that? Uh, yes, I, I think it's... Um, multifaceted. Some of it, I believe, is from from the devil. He loves to uh, divide and conquer, and if he can, you know, uh, get people uh, separated. And certainly, it, there is great division among people, uh, you know, because of this. But also, uh, it's it's a sign of our times that you know we don't believe in eternal truths. Um, and, you know, science shows us that, you know, there's uh, male and female. Uh, certainly that's what the Bible tells us. Um, you know, there's um, XX and XY chromosomes. Um, people that may, there may be people who genuinely are confused, but they're not the majority. What I believe is there's a lot of, um, you know, false advertising going out there that the amount of people who they say are transgendered or uh, gender fluid uh, is not as high as, as as they as the press makes it out, and also that this is a psychological condition. Uh, in the same way, if if someone's confused as to what gender they are, uh, whether they're going from one to the other, or that there's not two genders, but there's two. Uh, I mean, there's three or four or or, or whatever. Um, that doesn't make reality so. It's not. Reality isn't based on my perception. Reality is objective in and of itself. And, uh, you know, medically, um, it's still when someone, if, if they, if they, someone's born, they put, assign them a gender. Uh, when they're performing surgeries on people, you know, uh, it's more than just the, the, the physical manifestation. There's a whole spiritual dimension as well. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer Michael McCall, call screener Ace McKay, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow. Until then, God bless.